City because we have so many things going on. So thank you for joining us, but I have to get right into it. If we could uh, take the effects off. Thank you, my brother. How many are saddened by our city again showing that they cannot protest or do anything right when it comes to facing injustice? Already people being arrested during the protests. My friends, we have to wake up to the truth of what's going on in our city and in our nation. I want to just share with you a, Proverbs, a proverb, and then if the brothers could put it up, I want to share my heart a little bit about what's going on and how we've got to get wise and woke in this church. Can I hear an amen? amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 14, uh, verse 8. It's Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8. Thank you, my brother. Proverbs 14, verse 8, and if I could have a little more in the monitors, I'd appreciate that. The Bible says the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. Somebody say, give thought to your ways. It is wise to give thought to your ways. But the folly of fools is deception. There have been uprisings and riots in our city and in our nation because of what has happened when people resisted arrest. The first thing that I want to ask everybody right here, right now, I just want to ask everybody this. Do you think at this time the police are the right ones to be resisting arrest with? No, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. Listen, I'm not even justifying everything a police officer does because we have seen them as, as Christians do us wrong. But, but listen to me, if this brother right here, Lawrence, who goes out and preaches the gospel, go and raise your hands, please, Lawrence. He's a new father. Let's give it up for being a new father. Jackie's home watching with the new baby. We teach these young men, if the police are going to apprehend you, follow their instructions. Follow their instructions. Almost every police officer now has a body camera. That's going to come up in court if we need to bring it up. I teach our people, keep the cameras rolling so we have evidence. So number one, when I as a pastor send out our people to go out and preach, and I know we may deal with a bad police officer, and how many bad police officers, uh, bad police officers are there? I don't know. It could be 1%. It could be 10%. It could be 50%. I'm still trying to figure out how many bad pastors there are. Okay, I'm trying to figure out how many bad politicians there are. But my point is this, just comply. Comply with the thing. If they ask you to do X, Y, and Z, comply with it, and then we are going to handle our business in court. So the first thing that I notice in watching these videos, whether it's the one uh, in Minneapolis or the one in Chicago, is somebody resisting arrests. And while they're resisting arrest, they are now putting a police officer in a chance, uh, in a position to make a whole lot of mistakes with their life. Do not give a person with a gun the chance to make a mistake with your life. Number one. Now, now there may be. Now, listen, this is where it gets cloudy and everybody wants to argue. The people may say, well, there's other situations we're also getting upset about. I'm not talking about that then right now. I'm talking about the ones you're upset about today. I'm talking about the reason why they're waving, what is it, the Mexican flag, the Puerto Rican flag, went the Chicago one, because the young man, what was he, Mexican or Puerto Rican? Mexican. So they're waving. I'm talking about this one. You, we all know what you were marching about Saturday. How many know what they, uh, Friday, how many know what they were marching about Friday? We know what you're marching about. You're marching about this 13-year-old. So my, my question is, as we go through the situations, the Bible says the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. So let me ask you this. Should a 13-year-old, I mean, this is going to sound like the most stupidest question, but should a 13-year-old be out at 2.30 in the morning with a 20-year-old shooting off a firearm in an alley? Should that be happening? Okay, no. Once the police come to that situation, should the 13-year-old, here you got option A and option B. Option A is 13-year-old complies, puts down the weapon with the first time that he's asked and sees the police. Or option B, run with the gun from the police. Now, at that point, I want to be 100% honest with you. I am not an expert in police uh, protocols, and none of, nobody pretty much watching these videos are. So I don't know what is a police officer supposed to do after he's known that someone has a gun, they're running with the gun, and then he's telling them to, take, uh, to turn around and put down the gun, and the person turns around with the gun in their hand, supposedly getting ready to drop it, etc. What are they supposed to do? I don't know. 
I'm definitely ready to see that play itself out in court. But I do know how a young man, this is for sure what I do know, this situation. Somebody say this situation. I know for sure how this young man would not have died that night. I know for sure how he wouldn't have died if he was not out at 2.30 in the morning shooting guns running from police. Dear God, can we have some common sense in our city again? So here's the statistics. Everybody want the statistics? Because, you know, facts are our friends. 2019 in Chicago, 495 people were murdered. God have mercy. That was 2019. The year of justice. The year. I don't do good at sarcasm. Everybody knows I wear my, I wear my emotions on my face. You can always tell what I'm going through on my face. The year of justice. 769 murders, 2020 in Chicago, up 50%. The marching, the protest, whatever they think they are doing is not working. Thank God you can protest. Protest all that you want. Protesting is not destroying property. Amen. Pro, I, I'm, I'm the firm believer in this statement. I may not agree with what you're protesting about, but I agree with your right to do it. I may not agree with your standing on the corner talking about, but I agree with your right to do it. When I was in San Francisco, I saw a group of about 20 hippies walking by with signs doing stuff, and I asked the professor, because I was there on a Bible couch trip, I said, what are they protesting about? He said, I have no idea. They protest here two and three times a day. He said, I don't know what. They could be protesting about meat. They could be protesting about this or that. I'm totally cool. And by the way, it doesn't matter if I'm cool or not. It's in the Constitution. You can protest, right? But whatever they thought they accomplished in the year of justice, they did not accomplish. Whatever you thought you were doing right did not work, okay? Now, the next statistic is, and we don't have it for uh, 19 or 20. The most recent that we have is for 18. In the state of Illinois, over 50,000 abortions in Cook County, Kane County, McHenry County, all of that. Over 30, I believe, 32,000 abortions. God have mercy. 32,000 abortions, 769 murders, and we're all going to the streets to protest something that the mayor said we're already going to take this to court and look at the evidence for. What are we protesting? Are we protesting that the kid is out at 13 years old? Are we upset that parents let that happen? That's awesome protest. Parents do your job. Parents do your job. Parents do your job. I'm totally with that. Totally with that. Are we protesting gangbangers and 769 murders? Stop gangbanging. Stop gangbanging. Stop gangbanging. You know, stop corrupting our youth. Stop corrupting our youth. 20-year-old giving a 13-year-old a gun. Is that what we are protesting? It doesn't sound like it. Now, once again, there's always a mixed multitude when they protest. So maybe there is somebody out there with half a brain going, I'm not calling for the death penalty of the police officer. I'm actually calling for the violence to stop, for parenting to increase, and for us to hold all of our leaders responsible when times like this happen. Okay, great. That, whoever was out there protesting for that, from a biblical standpoint, you're not a fool. But if you are out there protesting for the way of a fool, then this is the folly of our city. And then the same thing in Minneapolis. I don't know. Listen to me. I have never been in a stressful situation like that. I don't know how a police officer can confuse her gun with a taser. Okay, so the situation is they're pulling over a young man. The young man is resisting arrest. She comes into the situation talking about a taser, and then she has a gun in her hand because we can see the body cam, and she shoots one round from the gun instead of shooting the taser. I don't know how that could happen. That's, that is definitely a certain kind of fear or stupidity happening at that moment. So I don't know how we fix that. Like, how do you know that a veteran police officer can be that you know, just in a situation to make that dumb of a decision. I don't know. Do you do more psych evaluations? I've heard about these tests. They do it to police officers. They are long. They are intensive, right? I, I don't know if you train them in, in, in war. Like, I don't know. Like, you send them out to war. They have to get good at war. Then they come be a police officer so they can know the difference between what their weapon is, get used to having fire going over around. I don't even know because the situation wasn't even that intense. But all I know is this. I know how this young man would be alive today. 
This is how I know this. Once again, I'm not talking about the others where we're like, man, that's pretty shady. That, that police officer probably was definitely wrong and intended to murder. This is not good. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when those situations come up. But these are not the ones that have come up. I'm just looking at the two that have caused an uproar in our nation today. Some may say the fool of the folly is deception. Okay, here is how this young man would have lived today. When the police officers asked him to keep his hands behind his back and they would have cuffed him, cuffed him he would be in a jail cell right now alive. He may not like that they might have profiled him. Maybe they were. Maybe they're just looking for kids and young adults that they profile according to their drivers, I mean, to their, their, their license plate tag, seeing if it's expired or looking for the air freshener, whatever silly little thing they do out there. Okay, fine. That's a, that's a great court case. Maybe you win it. Maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe that's part of what they do out there. I don't know. Once again, I'm not into that police division, nor do I work in that area. But I can say this for sure. Once the young man was pulled over, if he would have give, given thought to his ways, he would be alive today. And so now what are we saying again in that, uh, you know, the people saying in Minneapolis, looting GameStop, looting, you know, Foot Locker in the name of justice. What are they now saying? They want to call for the imprisonment and death of this woman who once again, the police, the female, the officer was a female, when once again, everybody knows this needs to go to court. What are we protesting over? We know there's the body cam. The body cam has been released. Lawyers are not going to work it out. And so then this is what I think people then say at the end. They go, well, you know, we can't trust the court system because people like this have gotten off before. Okay, but once again, if you don't like the court system, we have to vote in different judges and change the protocols. We don't tear down our city if we don't like the court system because we are built on laws in the court system. Does everybody get that? And we, once again, have passively resist things that they have threatened us over, you know, over COVID. So we understand passive resistance. But in the name of wanting to open up our church in COVID, I didn't go and loot the jewelry store next to us. I'm so mad I can't meet as a Christian. I'm going to go loot the jewelry store. What does, Joe, let me, Joe, let me get this right here. What does you looting the jewelry store have to do with you as a church meeting and fighting the mayor on a situation you don't agree with? Absolutely nothing, but it sure makes me feel better. My friends, we have got to be wise in this generation. We as Christians, 100%, should be leading the march for justice. I could see if the police were not being held accountable, if mayors were saying, oh, we're not, we're not going to bring this to court. We're not going to look into this situation. We're not going to have a, a trial. Okay, we can protest. We want to see this, you know, brought to, to court, to justice. We want to see this handled. For example, and, th and this just shows you how, you know, you just wonder, what are some police officers thinking? God bless them and I pray for them, but it's just like, what are they thinking? Well, in this situation, I believe it was in Minneapolis as, as well, a, a black officer was, a, was coming to an alley to, re, you know, to, to respond to a situation where a white woman had reported someone following her and, and tailing her and, and making her feel uncomfortable. So when the, it's, once again, it's not funny, but it's just crazy how these things happen. The officer pulls into the alley in his squad car to, to see the situation. Well, the white woman comes running up to the police officer in the car like, hey, it's me. I'm going to tell you about what's going on. Well, the officer shoots and kills her. Now, did, you know, do, do I as a white person think that this black officer woke up that morning wanting to kill a white woman? Absolutely not. I think he might have some problems about how he's doing his job. I think we should help those officers not to do things like that, and that officer should be held accountable. But I don't think it's premeditated manslaughter that he killed that woman. Does everybody get that? The same thing is with another situation. We could be here all day. Just like the same thing with George Floyd. There was another one in Las Vegas, I believe. A drunk partier was resisting arrest, and then one of the officers is choking him. And you can hear on the body cam, they're kind of mocking him, like, you know, what are you going to do now? And then they keep choking him until the guy dies. They don't know that he's died. They think he's passed out, and they're mocking the drunk kid that they've choked to death. This stuff happens, and it's sad. It's terrible. Is that what we're protesting about, that police will do better? Okay, wonderful. But that got to trial. Same thing with the one of the other person. This is going to trial. What are we teaching our young people if we don't believe in our court system? What are we teaching them if we're saying, you don't have to give thought to your ways? So for me as a pastor, it's just very simple. Let's teach our young people to give thought to their ways. And I will be, and I, please hear my heart on this. Everybody say, hear his heart. 
I promise to be a pastor that will stand by any person here unjustly arrested, unjustly, um, what would that be when they scope you out? What's that word again? Um, Profile. Anybody that's wrongly profiled, I'll stand with you as a pastor. I'll say this is, you know, like TJ. If TJ was walking home one day and he gets profiled because he's an African-American and then they rough him up, I'll be right there. Every, would everybody stand with TJ or with any young person? We, we would stand with any young person. But what we're not going to do is pretend our young people cannot do better when they encounter police. Let's just all just close, close the, the, the pre-sermon message out with this. Stop resisting police officers, young people. Let's do that, and then let's go to the next step, helping police officers make the right decisions over what are tasers, uh, what are, you know, what, what is a gun, what is being dropped in a dark alley. Let's help and pray for our police officers. But I, I'll just say this a little bit sassy. I'm 100% for whoever wants to give it a shot in Chicago to stop the 769 murders. I'm with you trying that. So if you want to be a community policing agency, go for it. Like, I'm totally down with you giving that a shot. Like, right now, like, Black Lives Matter, please go ahead and police the south side, the west side, my neighbor, wherever you think you can stop 769 murders go for, without a gun and without making these same mistakes. Please go for it. I'll just love to watch you try to do that. Because for some reason, I think we all know the reason, but for some reason, they don't listen very well when they want to shoot and kill and sell drugs. Is everybody listening to me? And it doesn't matter if you're red or yellow, black and white. When you are in that mindset and a person thinks that way, they don't listen too well to police. And matter of fact, I used to be one of those kind of young people. I resisted police. I ran from police. I fought when they tried to hold me down. I have a whole story that I have with a friend that we always uh, talk about whenever we get together, how he brought me to a bar and I wasn't supposed to be in the bar. I was 18 year old, but I probably looked older than the bartender, you know. That's why I'm graying so early now. I've always looked more older than my age. Everybody looks at me now, they think I'm like in my 50s. No, I'm only 44. Thank you very much. But no, when the police officer tried to stop, there was two of them, and I'm not trying to boast in the situation, but when they were trying to uphold me, uh, grab me and all that, man, I just... Man, I thought I was in football again. I just plowed right through him. And, uh, you know, and I'm not the fastest runner, but I heard that guy get tired about two blocks down. And I'm like, I'm out of here, Jack. And I kept going, you know. Well, if I would have died that day, that would have been my fault. If that guy would have thought I had a gun or just that, that would have been my fault. Does everybody understand that? And so I'm not saying every situation is like that. There are situations that are not like that. Once again, people get upset about the one in Kenosha, Wisconsin. They'll say, oh, man, that police officer got off. You know, well, you know why he got off is because the person pulled a knife on him. And according to Kenosha law, if a criminal pulls a knife on a police officer and walks towards him, you don't pull out the tickle stick. You get to, as a police officer, shoot somebody. Now, once again, if you don't like the idea, listen, I've got to giggle again. If you don't like the idea of potentially being shot by a police officer in Kenosha, don't step at the police officer with a knife, okay? Amen. Can I hear an amen to that? You guys aren't afraid of those conversations, are you? And i got another one. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Oh, I used to just preach, you guys remember, I used to just preach sermons on whatever was happening in the news. Now I'm trying to go through a sermon series, but I got to come back to some of these news highlights, amen? Because we got to speak to this. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5 at the end of the Beatitudes. If you have any questions, we would love to sit and talk to you about it. We don't mind debate or discussion. Honestly, we're not trying to, we're not trying to be everything conservative conservatives are for conservatives sake I think like for myself as a Christian the reason why I fall more in line with conservatism is because I'm a Christian but I'm not trying to buy into it because uh, I am just a conservative does everybody understand that like I'm a conservative because I'm a Christian I'm not a conservative trying to be a Christian and I, and I think some of us have met some of those folks that are more conservative and they are Christian you know like especially like on your Facebook or something maybe you met them at a bevy conference or your friends of friends and like you're putting up a situation and then and then they start cussing like I hope all those blankety blank die and this this and that we're like oh, hold on here you got a different spirit here on you. That's not the spirit that I have. I have the Holy Spirit. I love my enemies. I want the best for them. And maybe I should just say this as a pastor because I have to rebuke my city before I can even give my, my condolences. 
We're not happy about a 13-year-old child dying in the streets. That's why we go to those streets and continually preach the gospel to 13 years old. That's why we have teenagers all throughout here who came from those paths. They're serving Jesus. And I don't, listen to me, I don't care how pro-gun, pro-conservative a person is. Everybody knows that a person who takes another person's life is going to regret that for the rest of their life. Even in war, when someone's trying to kill you and you have to fight back and kill, even there, those, those soldiers come back with deep, deep emotional issues because humans were not meant to kill other humans. They're made in the image of God. And so I have compassion for that 13-year-old I have, you know, who passed in that situation, being in that environment, making those wrong decisions. I have compassion for the parents who are you know, probably feeling really bad right now that their, their son was out and they're, you know, they're, they're feeling bad about that. And then I feel bad for that police officer. And if he did something wrong, then, it, then let the punishment fit the crime. And then here's the, the last thing I wanted to share before we go into our, our message is blessed are you when people insult you, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today, the church of Canada has had to go underground. We are living in a time where you have watched, everybody understand this, a democratic country, supposedly a, a country like Canada, based on freedom. You have watched, I can't remember a time in history in, in the last hundred years where we have watched a democracy crumble. Maybe Cuba, maybe some others that had revolutions, but uh, I'm talking no revolution happened, but the passing of these COVID bills has caused a nation like Canada to now fight against the churches and the Canadian Christians are officially underground. If that does not stun you, I don't know what else will today. I mean, it is absolutely horrifying that now they, they arrested a pastor. They put him in maximum security. At the same time, they were letting out child molesters and violent criminals. It's very sad. They put him in maximum security. They then gave him the option. I mean, these are the stories that I've told you about from Romania, like Voices, uh, The Voice of the Martyrs, you know, uh, Richard Warmbrand, his book on this. This is like stuff from the communist countries, right? And they said to him, we'll let you out if you, if you promise that you won't preach or go back to your church. And he said, I can't promise you that. I'm going to go right back the opposite. So they kept him in there as long as they possibly could. And then they put fences around his church. And so now the Church of Canada, because he's one of the only ones that have opened. You saw the other one was a Polish man. And talk, see, my people are Polish. I don't claim them a lot. I claim more of the Italians because of the Polish people, I mean, we have the jokes about us. Let's just be honest. We don't, we don't get a lot of respect around here, you know. But the reason is, is because we got our butts whooped by everybody for a long time. And if you want to talk to people who understand oppression and the false promises of nations and how well it's going to go when they start coming over your border, talk to a Polish person. So anyways, that Polish pastor who told those people to get out and called them Nazis, they ask a Polish person about Nazi Germany how much they think about that, you know, or how much they, uh, they remember about that because they went through some pain, okay? They were taken over just like that. World War I, World War II, they were just getting, getting it from all directions. And so anyways, now these pastors can no longer publish their services, can no longer meet in public. They now have to go underground. You have watched a free society come against Christians and crumble in your lifetime. I was watching that video with the one from Calgary when he was like, get out of here, get out of here, you know, talking to them. And I was watching it with my children, and I was saying, you are watching for the first time in our lifetime, like I said, maybe go back to the 50s, to the to Cuba and other places that were free and that were taken over by communists. But you're watching probably in the last 60 years, 70 years, something that's never happened. Nations lose their freedom. And, and now the only thing that stops them from putting them all in jail is just maybe one law or another law. And then all the attendings in the underground can go to jail. And I'm not, I'm not even putting that, again, you know, putting that past Canada. Canada may start arresting Christians by the droves now if they get it in their mind and they want to pass those laws. But it's to the point where they've threatened the church leaders so much and the church organizations that they had to go underground. So can we pray 
for the violence in our cities, and can we pray for the freedom of Canada as well as the other states in this country? And I thank God that finally uh, the Christians in California won their battle against the state, and they can meet, amen. They can have their home Bible studies. They, they, uh, they're not quite out the woods yet, but they can do it, and now they have to figure out what they're going to do with their capacity laws and all of that. But thank God something went into the favor of the California Christians. Let's pray. Father, we lift up to you this nation and the violence happening. Lord, I wish that I could have came here and just spoke about the heavenly revelation of Christ among, uh, in your throne among the elders. But, Lord, we had to stop and talk about what's happening in our city, in Minneapolis and in other cities in this nation. Lord, we ask for you to bring justice. We ask for the young people to become wise and that for crime to stop and for murdering to stop, oh, Lord, and for there to be uh, restraint and wisdom among police officers and politicians and righteous judges. And, Lord, we also lift up to you the country of Canada. Lord, it breaks our heart to see this nation now allow churches to be uh, covered with fences and threats to be given to pastors who have already been arrested and now to their members so that they have to flee and go underground, oh God. We pray for mercy on this nation. We pray for uh, there to be a revival, there, for their policies to change. And Lord, for COVID to continue to be dealt with in the medical community with wisdom, but Lord, not re restricting the rights of Christians, Lord. And we pray this for our nation as well, that this... Uh, uh, pandemic, a way to change our values would be exposed and stopped in, in your precious son's name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. How many love our nation? How many love Canada? And we want to see the best for them. Amen. Now let's go to the third sermon of the day. You guys ready? Amen. Let's go to Revelation chapter 5. Hopefully I will not be too long, but thank you for your patience. I want to be an honest pastor. And God have mercy if I don't talk about these issues. I don't understand how pastors can't talk about this. I mean, even if you disagreed with me, at least you would have to say, man, the guy talks about it. I think even, even that I would get from the BLM as respect. At least he's not silent, because isn't that what they want? They want everybody to have their voice. <laughs> so they would say, at least he's not silent. We don't agree with them, but at least you know where your pastor stands on those issues. And all of the details we can work out over time, getting the right judges in, getting in the right policies, all of those things. Maybe one day we'll have the right tickle stick that will do it without a gun, okay? Invent the tickle stick that does it. But it seems to be right now, these are our issues. We got to deal with it because policing is a problem in our nation. Somebody say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Amen. That's what we're going to talk about today. In the book of Revelation, we've gone through the chart. Now let's go into the goodies here. We learned last week about the one who sat on the throne, and Jesus was not present in that chapter, but here he comes right now into chapter 5, and I believe you're going to see why he wasn't in chapter 4 and why it's so important we see him as the lamb. Remember, he's a lamb, but he's also a lion. See if you can see those two concepts here. I'll read the whole chapter, 14 verses, and then we'll go through it. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. The one, excuse me, then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. 
Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. With your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Can I hear an amen to that? That's our Jesus. Last few verses. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Let's say that together. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Amen. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne... And to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen. And all God's people said amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Wow, isn't that amazing? We see in this passage now why the lamb has not been mentioned before when we saw the throne. The reason is, is he is the one who came to take away our sins. The story of redemption is playing out in the book of Revelation. And so when you start in chapter 5, you have to keep in mind chapter 4, where we, we get the description of the father sitting on the throne. And his throne is amazing. It's powerful. Powerful, it's glorious. There's peals of thunder and lightning, you know, sounds of thunder and lightning coming from it. There's a rainbow that shines around it, and there's a sea of glass. So we get this glorious understanding about God. But where is Jesus? See, Jesus, if this was a picture before the incarnation, would be right next to his Father in the same splendor and glory, and there the Holy Spirit would be present coming from the Father and the Son. Just like as we see at the end of Revelation, there is Jesus on the throne with his Father, the Holy Spirit present. But what are we supposed to get in chapter 4, kind of as we see in that picture of God reaching out to man, is we are to see that God is so great and that man has fallen so far that he now deserves what is coming to him, these punishments, all of this that's going to be revealed to us that mankind deserves. But hold on, the story's not over yet. See how the Bible's revealing this to us. Before the judgment comes, who do we now see in the midst of the throne? The Lamb. And the lamb is one that has been slain. But is he merely a lamb? No, he's also a lion. Did you see those two concepts here? He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he's also the lamb looking as he had been slain. What are we supposed to understand? That the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the word that was present with the father has come down to be our savior so that we do not suffer the wrath of God. After this point, anyone suffering the wrath of God is because they did what? Rejected the Lamb. Does everybody get it now? Revelation was building up to us in chapter 4, completing in chapter 5 the story of redemption, and that all who come to the Lamb will not face the wrath of God. But does it stop there? No, because there is still wrath to come. And notice that when John sees the scroll and that no one can open it, he weeps. Now, is he weeping because the scroll is so good and that amazing that he just wants it to be open? And he's so sad that it's not going to get open. It's almost like it's the wish list of all the boys and girls and it's Santa's list and it's Santa's coming to town. And oh, no one can open Santa's list. Oh, I wish they all could. I'm so sad. Is it, you know, the deed to a mansion in heaven? Is it the blessings coming to earth? And he's just so sad that the deed to heaven is, is not being opened or the, you know, the mansion's keys are not, the addresses with the codes or whatever is not being given to us and the blessings aren't coming. Is that why he's weeping? No, he's weeping because the judgment has not yet been displayed. He's actually crying out because of justice. Everybody get this. Justice involves wrath. 
And what he's weeping for is, what about the ones who reject God? What happens to them? Does evil keep going on and on and on? Does abortion keep happening? Does greed keep happening on this earth? Does murder keep happening? Does sexual perversion just go on and on? He's weeping because he knows that something has to be done. We all get a choice to receive the lamb. We all get a choice to receive Jesus. But what about those who don't, who act like they own this place, that get to keep doing whatever they want. That's what's making him sad because who opens the judgments of God? Now notice who is the one that does it? It's the lamb who has the seven spirits of God. And isn't that something that when we talked about this before, what are the seven spirits of God, that now we see that they're actually upon Jesus. Remember the dove coming upon Jesus, the one Holy Spirit manifesting himself in those seven different ways? Let's go now to that scripture in Isaiah again, and you'll be able to see that it points us towards Jesus. Go to Isaiah chapter 11. And so Jesus is the one that can bring the judgment because Jesus has the Spirit of God and has interceded, has pleaded with the world through the seven manifestations of the Spirit, has given all that the world could possibly need to be without excuse. Notice this, we've already read it. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from its roots a branch that will bear fruit. Look at what it said about Jesus. He is the root of David. Is it any coincidence that in the title, the root of David, that's that scripture where we get that title from, also is the seven spirits of God? No, because this passage in Isaiah is a powerful understanding of who Jesus is. A shoot will come out from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch that will bear fruit. Everybody get this. This is just like in Isaiah. To us a son is given, to us a child is born. See, in one sense the child is given. He has no creation moment. He's always Always existed with the Father. Everybody get that? But he's born because he takes on flesh. So to us, a son is given. To us, a child is born. Contradicting? No. And then here's the same thing. He is the stump. He is the last great king of Jesse. He's the stump. But he's also what? The roots of the branch of David. That's why we're going to get to in Jesus' own apologetic when he debates with the Jews. He said, what did David mean when he called the Messiah his Lord? How is that so if he's only a son of David? How does David call one of his own offspring his Lord? And that's why he quotes them Psalm 110. He said, why did David say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Notice this. He's the stump of Jesse. And he's also the roots that bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Spirit of wisdom, understanding, spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge, the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will what? Judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike, come on somebody. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist and then here come the promises the wolf will lie with the lamb and it goes on read the whole chapter when you have a chance it's powerful so is it any coincidence that in this chapter the image of Jesus is a lamb is the root the line of, uh, you know, the root of David, the line of the tribe of Judah, the one who has the seven spirits. Are any of these things coincidences? No, they're pointing back to the prophecies made about Jesus. And so now John sees the very one that we saw crucified is the very one who is rose again, raised again from the dead, and is going to come and judge the earth. He wants to see the judgment. Come on, somebody. Do you want to see the judgment of God? Are you going to cry if you don't see it? That's the heart of John here. How many are crying because they don't see it? How many feel the pain? You look at the world around you and you go, where do all the wrongs get made right? Who is capable of doing this? Only Jesus. And don't miss it. Why does Jesus do it through the lamb imagery? Why doesn't he do it through the lion imagery? Because once again, 
God wishes none to perish. The Lamb shows us the mercy of God. If I had time, I would get into it. I have it referenced there. Exodus chapter 12, where this image first starts in the Passover, the passing over of God's judgment upon the Israelites in the time of the Egyptian exile. And God says, if you sacrifice a lamb, put the blood over your doorpost, the death angel will pass over you. Jesus is the lamb slain. He is the one that is giving us the blood covering that passes over the judgment of God. It doesn't mean God's judgment is not coming. It is coming. But it's only coming to those who do not accept the blood of the lamb. And so I think about our world right now with so much pain and all the hurt. And it gets, you know, sometimes you're getting numb looking at all the things that are happening one after the other. Corruption, you know, things happening in families, the sexual perversion. Now the bachelors come out as gay. What has this world turned into? Are you grieved by the news, my friends? You know, and you just, you don't know what, when, if you were in the sinner mindset, you would either think this is the way it's supposed to be, or you yourself would be depressed with no hope. I talk to a lot of people who aren't Christians, but they're depressed without any hope because they still have a God conscience on the inside of them, right? That they know it's not supposed to be like this. And they're searching for an answer. We as Christians have an answer. It may not be the answer they like, but there is an answer, and it has to do with God unleashing the scroll and giving it to Jesus to destroy sinners upon the earth. Yes, that's the answer. And I've pointed that out before here, and I think it's, it's good to repeat because I ask people all the time, and I say to them, okay, so you're upset there's a hell. Well, where do all the, the people who commit evil go to? Because there has to be somebody that we all agree is evil. So the one who molests a child, you know, the one like Hitler who does genocide or the person who rapes, right? And then they just die. Let's say they commit suicide. Is that just it? They just go to dust? No. In our book, there's a punishment. There's a just punishment. And this is our hope. Our hope is that God makes the wrongs right. That's why it says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We're not turning our other cheeks because the one slapping us doesn't deserve to be slapped. They absolutely deserve to be slapped. But we are turning our cheek to show them the mercy of God. We are showing them the time and space that they need to rethink that slap so they don't take it any further because the Bible says uh, to turn the other cheek but not what to do after the other cheek has been slapped, right? So we're giving them the opportunity to rethink that slap, to rethink that aggression because this is where all aggression leads, isn't it? This is where all perversion leads. This is where all sin leads. God is merciful, He's merciful right now to Belmont and Clark because Belmont and Clark has not experienced this yet. He's being merciful to our politicians because they haven't experienced it yet. But the Bible's very clear that they will one day. And so we see that the son has the right because of who he is without coming in the flesh to judge the earth. We know that for a fact. But now he has the prerogative to do it in justice because he's been slain for the people. So everybody get this. No one suffered more in our sin than Jesus Christ because he came from heaven to earth to put on an earth suit so that he might take on all of our sin. So imagine that, being as rich as you could possibly be to then go live, you know, in the poorest conditions and to suffer with sickness, disease, or whatever with those folks, to identify with them. He does that times a million because he not only identifies with us in our sicknesses and our diseases on the cross and our pain of sorrow, he also identifies with our sin on the cross. He actually takes the moral pain and the moral consequence of us breaking the heart of the Father, hence the sky turning black at three in the afternoon afternoon and him crying out, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me, my God? So he takes on our sin. So when we say, well, Joe, there's sick children. There's innocent people that die in this world. We agree 100%. And then when people throw it back on us and say, that means God doesn't care. We say, no, he cares so much. He went to the cross to feel that pain. 
according to our scriptures. If they're going to take our scriptures at face value and, and try to mock us with it, well, then at least understand what we're actually saying, right? Like, if you're going to take what we're saying and try to mock us with it, then hear the full story. We, as Christians, believe Jesus felt the pain of molestation on the cross. We believe Jesus felt the pain of the handicapped child that, that dies a slow, agonizing death. We believe that Jesus felt the pain of spousal abuse. We believe that. So we believe that our Lord and Savior felt the pain of sickness, the pain of sin. He felt my mistakes of running from police officers, getting high on drugs, the pain that we have done and inflicted to ourselves. He felt it, and then he took it for us, and he felt the rejection. The greatest penalty of our sin is rejection from the Father. He felt what it was like for the Father to turn his back on him because of righteousness. Not that they were separated in their nature. Sometimes people want to take that to the next level. The Father and Son were still united, but he felt the disapproval of his Father. He felt the shame of sin. He felt what shame does on a person's soul. And then the Bible says, despising the shame. He went through with it, so he didn't allow that to even get him to stop there. He then despised the shame, allowed his body to die, took on the victory, and ascended to heaven. And this is the picture we now see. He's the worthy lamb that can judge us. He was already a lion, but now he's going to be a lamb. Does everybody get it now? He was already a lion. He's already our creator. Talk to Jesus before he went to Sodom and Gomorrah and see what he could do. Because remember, the Bible says Yahweh rained down fire and brimstone uh, from Yahweh in heaven. Are there two Yahwehs? No, just one, one God revealed in three persons. And so Yahweh the Son is on the earth. He's the lion there. You're not going to stop Jesus from judging Sodom and Gomorrah that day. He's going to judge them. He has the right. It's his planet. We know he met with Abraham. We know he was there. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Ego am I in the Greek, Yahweh, the name of God in Hebrew. But how is he showing us judgment today? In the book of Revelation, he's showing us through the Lamb. This is the mercy of God. So I know sometimes, you know, the book of Revelation gets scary, and it's about ready to get scary. You know, here we go back up to the chart, because what's going to happen when these seals get open? Four horsemen of apocalypse are going to come and unleash hell upon the earth. Angels are going to start chucking down golden censers, burning up the earth. Hello, somebody. We talked about that. How many would like to have that job? Now you're kind of a little embarrassed. You're like, eh, I don't know. If you ask me on a different day, maybe, yeah. Sometimes in traffic, yeah, I could throw down some fire and brimstone on the earth. You know, it's going to be unleashed upon the earth. And we are actually rejoicing because if we believe, according to our timeline, and we've gone through this before, there's different ways to understand the timeline. But for we, as pre-tribulation rapture Christians, we believe we're up here watching the destruction come to earth because God has even spared his church from this. And that we are there with the Lamb, cheering on the angels, doing those things. Now, here's a few things in closing that I want us to see, is that the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down before the Lamb and now give him the same worship that they had given God on the throne. Isn't that amazing? And so he's worthy of worship. The Lamb who was slain is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of us bowing down and worshiping. And this is where sometimes you get the imagery of the typical harp and angel type thing. This is where you get it from. But notice it here. These are not the other angels that we see that are around the throne, the multitudes of them, which I do not believe have wings. So I'm surprised because um, I got this chart from John Hagee that he has what's known as uh, the old school depiction of angels with wings throwing down the stuff. But nowhere in the book of Revelation, and I double checked and please check on your own because he has it all, all around here, angels having wings, angel having wings. None of these angelic creatures are said to have wings. When Michael comes, we never see him with wings when he visits and he, he shows up, or Gabriel. We never see him with wings. The only creatures we see with wings, whether it's Isaiah, Ezekiel, or Revelation, is the seraphim and cherubim. The cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant, and then the seraphim that we see around the throne of God as well. So, you know, not, not to get too lost into that, but here's what we see is that the four living creatures have a special place that the other angels don't. They're not, this is not Gabriel. This is not Michael. These four creatures that we've learned about before have a unique place that they seem to be greater than the other angels in position, but less than us. And that's a whole nother story about how we are are always at the apple of God's eye. Can I hear an amen to that? 
The Bible says that we were made a little bit lower than the angels, and people think that means in status we were made lower. That just means in the realm, I believe. We were made in a realm lower than them where they were predominantly made to be in the realm of where God was at, but what we got was more than what they got because they never got dominion over anything. We got dominion over the earth. And so that's why I believe if you want me to try to fill in the blanks of Satan, Lucifer, that fallen angel who tries to tempt us, he wants what we have. He already has a view and a position in heaven outside of the four creatures and the elders. He would be out there with the rest of the angels, and yet he wants more than that. He wants what we have, a dominion, an authority, something he didn't have, and I think that's part of why he tempted us. And because of that pride, he gets cast down out of that heavenly realm into the second heavenly realm, which is where they can come back and forth and fight and war. But then the book of Revelation says he's going to get cast even out of that realm and be put down to earth and we know his time is short. How many don't want to be around here for that when he gets cast down to earth? The demons are walking around. That's a whole nother story, but I believe it's going to happen. And that's why I don't believe the church is here at that time. I believe you can still be a Christian from those who got left behind, but remember, the age would have to change for demons to be on the earth and you not be able to cast them out. And I was just listening to it again. Those demons that look like scorpions that sting you, that can torment you for months, cannot come, uh, will not leave in the name of Jesus. It says they are now having dominion over the earth. So why would God change dominion? I believe it's a different age. The church age has left. We are in heaven. And now these demons can literally have dominion over the earth. Otherwise, he's, he's changed the rules of an age. And we never see God change the rules of an age. The age always has its own rules. Can I hear an amen to that? Just putting out there my pre-rapture theology. Again, if you disagree, where do you have to take me to talk about it? Red Lobster, thank you. And uh, that's why... That's That's why I see that our authority is taken with us, our authority, because then he says only the two witnesses have that authority. Only they have it for a time, and then he takes it away, and he allows them to die. So we'll get into that. But here we see them worshiping him, and they have the the harp and, you know, the golden incense, um, the golden bowls full of incense. And here's Roman Catholic's favorite scripture, if you want to talk about praying to saints. Here it is. They have the golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people or the saints. There they go. Now, does it say there that the prayers of God's people came to them? No, it just says they have them. Okay, so where did they go first? To God. Does it say they prayed to the four living creatures? I'm praying to the one with the face of a lion today. Take my prayers and put it around the throne. Even most Catholics won't pray to the, to the seraphim with the face of a lion. Do you guys get how funny that would be? Because it actually says they have the golden bowls too. And so technically, if that's them receiving prayer, here, Jesus, I have prayer that came to me, and now I'm giving it to you. That's worship. If that is what is happening here, they should be praying to the one that has a face like an eagle. Make a statue out of that person. Make a statue the one who has a face like an ox. Does everybody get that? But they don't want to do that. They just want to pray to Mary and Joseph and all that. But is that what is said here? Does it say that they have the prayers that were given to them, prayers to them? No, all it says is that they have the prayers of God's people. So how are God's people commanded to pray? To the Father, in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Show me a prayer to a saint, then I might believe that these prayers could be directed towards them. But if you're just giving me that scripture, and you're trying to now leap off into the doctrine of the prayer of the saints, we're not going there with you, Jack, because all it says is they have the prayers of God's people. And I'm supposed to assume as a good Christian by reading the rest of the Bible that the prayers of God's people are to the one on the throne. Because I don't have one example of a prayer ever to a four-living creature or to a 24-elder. Because we know this is not Joseph. We know this is not who those are. These are the 12 disciples and the 12 saints of the Old Testament. Best guess, right? So we know for sure that it's not Joseph. It's not Mary. It's none of these folks. And so whatever they try to say that we can pray to, if if there was any case here, it would be praying to 
24 plus 4, 28 people. It doesn't say we can now pray to everybody, but they would have to show us prayers to those people, not just that they have prayers. And so the way we look at it is, is that God has given the prayers that has come to him back to them as incense to be offered up to him. And so remember that everything we give to God, he has given to us first. We give God praise, he gave us a mouth to praise him. Come on, somebody. We give him tithes and offerings, he gave us a job. Amen? Praise God. So hope that, hopefully that settles that debate for you. And then reiterating this on a time like today, maybe the church hasn't always done this well. We can repent for our sins of discrimination, racism, and, you know, segregation. I know back in the day Martin Luther King Jr. said the most segregated day is Sunday at church, you know, everybody going to their own church. But I don't see that in this generation. I see God bringing out the end-time harvest of every nation, every tribe, and every people. Can I hear an amen if you're in that kind of a church today? Come on. That's what God is doing. And so, yeah, people might have done it wrong in the past, but that doesn't mean it was ever right by God. So you could never have been a slave owner taking Kuta Kinte out of the jungles of Africa and enslaving him, according to this Bible. So somebody who wants to say, they use, the white man used this book to oppress my people, they haven't read this book, nor did the white man read the book. And how many know once the white man got privy to them reading the book and finding out the stories of freedom, they changed the book. There's actually a slave's Bible. Look it up, slave's Bible. And then they actually started forbidding them to have Christianity. So get all the facts, my friends. Get all of the facts about Christianity, whether it's a slave trade or the colonizers, conquistadors. According to this, can you conquer another group of people for the sake of Christianity? No, because every people belongs to the Lord, and you're supposed to, even when it says slaves obey your masters, it says because you both have the same master. That's how we understand it wasn't the kind of slavery we saw here in, South, in the South in America because those people treating there's the way the white person treated the slave is not the way Jesus treated them. So in the, in the Roman world, slaves could be uh, your servants because of getting out of debt or captured in war. And God was very uh, careful to tell Paul, if they're going to live in that type of a situation, the master better understand, hey, treat them like how I treat you because I'm your master and you're going to be held accountable. So could, and also the Bible says you couldn't steal people in the Bible. It says man stealing in, in Timothy. So could you steal people from their country and make them a slave? Could you treat them in such a way that Jesus has not treated you? And could you enslave a group of people based on them being from a different nation, tribe, or tongue? No. And then here's you, here you go. Somebody say, make it plain. We were out preaching on the west side. And I believe a brother from Kenya was there, wanted to preach with us. And I had to make it plain to the community. And I go, brother... In Kenya, does everybody look like you or does everybody look like me? What is it like in Kenya? Because it's pretty much a, a monogenous group. They pretty much all look the same. He's like, they look like me, man. They look like me. That's Bahamas, sorry. He's like, they look like me, brother. They look like me, Africa. There we go. I'm trying an accent here. Please be patient with me. He's like, they look like me, brother. So then I said to him, so I go, okay, so the nation is black, black African, right? So I'm doing this on the west side. You can see all the people all across the street selling, doing whatever they're doing, hustling, looking at me now like, man, what's this white boy doing here? Then I say, so they all look like you, right? So that must mean there's no murder there. There's no injustice there. There's no problems there because if you're black, you get along with other black people, right? He goes, no, brother, there's tribalism. They fight over their tribes. I'm trying to do an accent. I'll just do it without an accent. I try to do my Italian accent. I try to do my, my Polish accent, you know. So everybody gets the bad accent around here. Just to let you know, don't take it personal. Here comes my Latino accent. I try. I try. Okay, there it is. No laugh today. Pity laugh at the end. That's okay. Thank God I'm not a comedian. Thank God this is my job, right? So my point to the Kenyan brother was in front of the west side was, oh, you mean when the people didn't have something to fight over when it came to color, they started fighting over tribes? Yeah. Oh, that sounds just like our people. Didn't a bunch of white people start fighting over their tribe? I'm from France. I'm from Denmark. Like these countries we don't even care about now. Used to think they were something back then, didn't they? France fighting Denmark, Denmark fighting, you know, England, all of these wicked people fighting each other. Who's, who, who's the Pope here? Well, no, I got the Pope here. They're, you know, it was a mess. We've all experienced it. The Bible settles it. When you look to the blood of the Lamb, 
you realize we're all blood covered by the Lamb. Hallelujah. We all come from one blood, and now we're all purchased by one blood. Amen? There's not many races. There's one race, the human race, and there's not many ways to heaven. There's only one by the blood of the Lamb who purchased us. Hallelujah. From every tribe, language, people, and nation. And then what did he make of us? He could have made of us just his servants, which he told us that's the the way we're supposed to think about ourselves. He could have made us just a part of his adopted family, which is how we're also supposed to think about ourselves. But he goes one step further. He says we're supposed to look at ourselves as royalty. We're supposed to look at ourselves as kings and priests serving our God. We're in a kingdom and we're in a priesthood. Amen, somebody? Come on. And then we see the praise erupt among the angels with all of those who are around the throne and the elders. And then they close out praising God, worshiping the Lamb. And this is where we want to show our friends, whoever uh, they may be from the Muslim tradition or the Jehovah Witnesses who think that somehow Jesus is less than the Father because he doesn't always have the title God or he doesn't show up when they think he should. It says here, to him who sits on the throne... And to the Lamb be praise, honor, glory, and power forever and ever. And how many people do this? How many creatures do this? Every creature. Now, remember, we went through this. Uh, Vinny, in closing, would you come up, please? I want to make sure we get this. Could Jesus be a creature if every creature in heaven worships him? No. He has to be something other than a creature. We went about this the other time where it says, can he be a creation if he has created all creation? No. And so we're supposed to look at this and go, whatever the one sitting on the throne is in his divinity, in his nature, the lamb is equal to that. But why does the lamb appear differently? Now you can answer it. The lamb appears differently because the lamb is the one who was slain for us. The father didn't come. The Holy Spirit didn't come. In their own ways, they assisted the son. But the son is now given the name that's above every other name. Amen? Jesus, Yahshua saves, is even above the Father and above the Holy Spirit because that name the Father chose to exalt. The Father said, we are going to exalt the Son. And the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to exalt the Son. That's why when you read in John, and the the Holy Spirit almost looks like he's just a a person who gives us a message. And sometimes people say, well, that doesn't sound like he could be God because Jesus said he won't speak on his own behalf. He's only going to speak what I tell him to speak. That doesn't take away from his divinity. No more than if I decide when I uh, make a recipe, I'm only going to do what my wife told me to do. Hey, honey, make it like this. Yes, ma'am, I'm going to make it like this, right? When we humble ourselves in equal, equal relationships, Like I'm the same type of a human my wife is. I'm not a better or greater human than my wife. But when I submit to her way of doing something or she submits to my way of doing something, we're not showing change in nature. Like one's greater or less than the other. We're showing love. And so when we see Jesus added to the worship of the Father, it's not like this man has now become God and it's, you know, some type of a, a reward he gets. Sometimes people will believe that. Like Jesus became God after the cross and and he's exalted. Mormons believe that actually and others like them. That's not what we're supposed to get from this story because once again, if he's anything less than God, we're violating the uh, the commandment to have no other gods before our God. The Mormons are polytheists. So if I'm worshiping Jesus, even though he's been made God, Elohim by the Father, by Yahweh, or rather they believe he's been made Yahweh by Elohim. Even if that's true, it contradicts the Old Testament because the Bible says there are no other gods besides me. I alone created the heavens and the earth. Can I get an amen for that? So Jesus, for, for Jesus to receive the same worship of the Father, the one sitting on the Lamb, there is no way around it. He has to be an equal nature. But what nature did he take on for us that the Father did not take on? the human nature, to die for us, to give us salvation. And that's why now he's being worshiped as that. And listen, everybody get this. He's not ashamed to remain that way for the rest of eternity. He never stops identifying as the lamb that was slain. He's not going to look always like the lamb that was slain, but he'll always identify as that. And we believe that's the marks on his hands and on his side that will forever 
forever and forever always identify Jesus, the God-man, for the sacrifice he made for us. So today, if you have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior and received the forgiveness of your sins, receive the Lamb today because he's going to come back and judge us. He has the right to do so, and the saints in heaven and on earth are weeping until that day. Even the creation, the Bible says, is groaning until judgment comes. So if you don't know Jesus, know him today, and you will not face the wrath of the Lamb. How many want to know and love Jesus? How many know him and love him but want to love him more, know him more? Come on, would you stand up, give it up for Jesus today? Praise God, praise God. Band and altar workers, would you come? Worthy is the Lamb. If you already love Him, would you just tell Him right now in your own words, Worthy are you, Jesus, Son of God. Worthy are you, Lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. This was the plan of redemption, to save sinners like us. Worthy are you, O Lamb. As some of us are worshiping, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, as the Lamb of God shedding His blood for you, you can repent of your sins right now. Confess Him as the Lord of your life. You may even come up and start to receive prayer as we get ready to close and worship. If you're here today, do that. Don't hesitate. There's no greater privilege than being in the kingdom of God, to be made a king and a priest with him. But you got to know him as Savior. Don't deny your sins. Don't hide your sins. If you're here today as a Christian and you've been messing around, you've been, you know, doing things that are considered sinful, you've been hiding those sins, don't do that anymore. Repent today. And if you want someone to pray with you, come on up. See, saints can pray with saints, but we don't pray to saints. That's the difference here. You can pray with your brothers and sisters. You can confess to your brothers and sisters, but you don't look to them like you look to God. We will both go to God together up here. A few more moments, let's worship him as those are receiving prayer. Whether you need to know him for the first time or rededicate your life, getting those things, those hidden sins out of your life. And then lastly, if you want to be an end-time witness, even as you're worshiping, you, you know God, you love him, but you want to be a part of preaching to every nation, tribe, and tongue, would you just raise up your hands and say, use me, Lord, to spread that message everywhere I go. And if you want to receive prayer, to receive power for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to enable you to be a witness, come on up as well. But we worship the Lamb of God today. Only He was slain for our sins, and He is worthy to judge this earth. But before He does, He says He wishes none would perish. Oh God, may none perish in this room today. May there be an awakening of every heart, oh God, every heart to who you are, a gratitude, an attitude of gratitude. How many are glad that he was slain for you, for your sins, for your bondages, for what you went through? Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody should just say, thank you, Jesus. I'm not who I used to be. Thank you, Jesus. I don't do what I used to do. Thank you, Jesus. I don't think like I used to think. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you, O oh God. I'm going to close us in dismissal. Just to remind everybody, we use these side doors now so those in the lobby can come in for a second. But feel free to worship and pray as long as you want. But I'll dismiss us formally now. Father, thank you for the Son. Thank you for sending Him. Thank you, Lamb of God, for coming. And for Holy Spirit for being upon Him and giving us all the wisdom and knowledge we could ever need. Today I pray, Father, that we will honor your Son and that the Lamb of God will be lifted up in this generation, that his blood will be spread over every house, every family, over every city, over every nation, and that your mercy will come on this land before he opens up those seals to the scroll of judgment. In Jesus' name we pray, Father, and everyone who believes and say amen.